Eric today mm-hmm. is actually eating breakfast during Faith Over Breakfast. This is a big deal. This um, this is huge. It's really huge. What does this mean? Why is this happening? Why are we using words that Donald Trump uses? Huge. Um, it's going to be huge. Because you're so influenced by him. I figured I had to speak. <laughs> None of this is going on air. This you know, is language you can understand. <laughs> Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. This is Eric. And uh, Andy from Mission Church in Tucson. Eric's from... Village. <laughs> and yeah, I'll Good just job. make a little plug that we're going to two services next week. Oh. And we didn't say that on the wow. on the podcast. But Can I make a plug that we're staying with one? You're going with one? We're going with one service. And I know last time we rushed this out and you said you were going to talk about it, and then we're not going to talk about it in the intro, but you are still working on that book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I am. And actually, I guess this, our topic today is a good, it, the, the the little discussion about the book leads in well. So, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I am. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of um, through the lens of my dad thinking about the types of people that we often don't listen to, um, who I think could teach us a lot. And so my dad was that kind of person, but he also did a good job of relating to those kind of people. And so the book is a little memoir-ish, uh, but also a little bit, There, I, I think there are lessons that I learned that I, I'm sharing in it about um, people like my dad that we, I think we listen to loud and confident people or those we perceive right. as such. Um, and the book is suggesting through a lot of story uh, that we that we consider listening to some other people. Cool. And uh, and, and I hope there's some, some meaningful stuff in there. And, and also kind of, you know, I will unpack some of the things I learned from my dad's very quiet life. Um, so... It's, uh, yeah, it, it means a lot to me. Um, I hope people read it and get a lot out of it. Yeah. And if they don't, I'm okay with it. So when's the publishing um, date to be more? Uh, supposed to be middle of next year. Middle of next um, year. So I, I spent a good chunk of time working on it on a trip I took to Oregon earlier this year. I'm going to take another um, extended time in November of this year. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, then we kind of get to you know, editing and having it read over. And I, I'm sure I'll have to add and subtract things. And and the goal is middle of 2019. Cool. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. So, uh, so you'll be a published tuned. author. That'll be fun. Yeah. And then you can say, hello, yeah. it's Andy Littleton, published, published author. author. And philanthropist. And so, yeah. Well, <laughs> for and, and activist. Activist. I, remember I went to some pastor's event and realized, you know, every, all the cool new pastors were also calling themselves activists. Activists? I don't know. I'm a pastor. We'll stick yeah. it at that. And hey, enjoy our conversation. It's kind of somber, but it, it is, is 9-11, and I think it's good, and it's meaningful, and I hope that it's encouraging to you guys. Yep. Enjoy.
it shared on 9-11. Today, the day we're recording is mm-hmm. 9-11. So that's on the um, on the radio and such. Mm-hmm. Got me thinking. Um, yeah, so obviously that's a, that's a somber topic, um, as are many things. Um, so, yeah, 17 years ago that occurred. Where were you? What mm. was where was I? Mm-hmm. It was at my house. I'm headed out to work. Huh? I mean, I didn't have a TV on. Yeah. I wasn't listening to the radio. Mm-hmm. So I didn't pick it up till I got out into the public. Yeah. But I, I remember, so my daughter was born on September 19th. Mm-hmm. And my birthday is on April 19th, which is the... Uh, anniversary of the Oklahoma bombing. Ooh, right. And so I was praying during 9-11 that my daughter wouldn't be born because I just didn't want our birth to be on two tragedies in the U.S. Wow. But, um, yeah, it was a very surreal experience. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I was also um, heading to work. I woke up living with roommates. Um, like I just moved out of my parents' place, young guy, so I must have been 18. That sound about right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, actually, that's exactly right. And, uh, yeah, it was on my, my roommate. I think one of them woke me up. It was like, hey, y- you know, you got to get out of here. And so they did have it on TV. And then, yeah, the whole day at work, it was, you know, people – coming in i worked at this christian bookstore at the mm. time and so people you know identified that as a place they might go to talk to somebody or get that's really interesting yeah it was and i don't remember all you know the conversations but i just know the whole day we kind of had some news on on a radio and we're just processing it with people there mm-hmm. yeah so it was yeah, it was. Uh, I, I think I was just in shock. It was one of those things I, you know, you'd heard about war and trouble and death, mm-hmm. but in those across the country from us, it still felt different. It mm-hmm. was this was within, and it wasn't one of one of us. It, the Oklahoma City bombing was like, who is this right. twisted guy? It was terrible. I remember that too, but it felt different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like realizing people in the world hate us, right? And came all the way over here to 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 kill many of us. Yeah, so, yeah. I think that I think it, it burst our sense of security as mm-hmm. a people. Uh, I think we we felt pretty safe. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just see how that you know pre nine eleven to post nine eleven tried to fly. Mm-hmm. It's changed so much because. We're not safe, and I think uh, there has been a demand in, of late. I mean, pre nine eleven too, of to be safe. Like there's mm-hmm. an expectation that we would be safe, and so I think we've we've been willing to give up some of our freedom to be safe. Yeah, absolutely. Think, you know, I think I think that happens when you're wealthy mm-hmm. as a country, and I'm not. You know, I understand that we're not all wealthy. I, I saw a statistic. Just you know, every show should have a statistic. But I saw mm-hmm. a statistic that 43 million people in the U.S. are working and only make twelve thousand dollars. 
a year. Mm-hmm. So I know we're not all rich, but as in general, we're a very affluent country, and the more money you have, the safer you try to stay because right. you want to keep those things. Um, and you begin to create laws that provide safety, right? And right. Ways of doing things, and I think nine eleven certainly accelerated that, and kind of told us we weren't safe. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was probably the first time I felt worried about. You know, I, th- I remember taking flights and even being in Tucson with the Air Force Base, and I still have these thoughts. And I wonder how much of it was shaped by nine eleven. But I, I have thoughts of what if our base got attacked. Like every once in a while, I'll just think, I'll hear a, you know, a weird, like an airplane at a time, I'm not used to hearing one overhead. So every once in a while, I'll go, what is that? Just in the back of my mind, I'll think, is that our airplane or is that somebody else's? You no. Know? And, no, definitely. And, I, you know, and I don't remember ever thinking about that stuff before 9 hmm. yeah. I, You know, I grew up in the 80s during the, the peak of the Cold War and in the 70s, and I definitely felt... Not afraid of the Middle East or afraid of terrorism, but definitely there was a, a communal, a countrywide fear of Russia. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of talks about, you know, um, Davis Moffin being mm-hmm. a target of nuclear weapons um, and of attacks mm-hmm. and things like that. The, the conversations I have with my parents about those things that I never have with my children, we don't talk about, mm-hmm. you know, could this base be struck and what would be the first cities to be taken out and all that kind of stuff. It's not a conversation. Now it is like our terrorists sneaking across the Mexican border Mm -hmm. is disguised as, um, you know, Hispanic people or as, uh, you know, how are, how is, how are the Islamic state trying to take down our country? Like these are more common or what are we going to do about Israel and Afghanistan and, you know, Iraq and what are we going to do about the Palestinian problem. Like, there's all these. These are more things that our country feels uh, more. Yeah. I don't know, afraid of. But I think, and this is the question I put for you, is, okay, we can talk about it all very politically, and we can talk about it as a state or a country's consciousness, but what we're really all afraid of is dying. Mm-hmm. And, and not just of our own death. We're afraid of loss. We're afraid we don't know what to do. Um, with loss and, I, and we've talked a little bit in previous podcasts about this because of your father um, right. and then my right. wife's mother and my brother's son all, all passing away but I think it's good to come back to think about what we do about our own death impending death mm-hmm. you know because I think one of the main one of the things that we all have to deal with when we get up in the morning is that we're one closer mm-hmm. day closer to dying right and the people around us are too. Yeah, and we and could we have didn't know those timelines. Yeah, and chaotic moments like you know the the attack on nine eleven was a chaotic random. It felt like a random event. Right. There was we a, totally and there was um, yeah this so much death on one day in one space. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard. It's very hard, and and sh- yeah, and is hard and should be hard. But then <clears throat> the. Yeah, the fact is they're just people dying constantly. I was having a was it was this here on the podcast or somewhere else? It had to be Doesn't somewhere. Doesn't matter. Else. It's good for us to repeat ourselves. Thank you. No. <laughs> um it's uh when I was at the the mortuary. Yeah, it was on this. It podcast. was here, yeah. 
And uh, yeah, just that realization there were certain people that are seeing death all the time. And we are very separate from it. We keep it very separate. And so the... So the thing that struck me today on my drive was the way that we talk about death. Because mm. they kept, in, and even some of the phrases you were saying, like loss, and and it is a loss. I'm not minimizing that. But the you know the all of the words were very like the people who were lost that day. And I just thought about the the wording of that, mm. and I thought it wasn't that simple as just like they were lost. Right, we didn't lose. We couldn't find like we couldn't find them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, and those words strike me as, and I know there's more sure. to that, but mm-hmm. but the those words, you know, the connotation of them is very mild. Like, sure, they just kind of wandered off, and we can't find them now. And I thought, you know, what would it be like to use the phrase, and especially because I'm listening, I was listening to NPR, so it wasn't one of the abrasive. Um, you know, shock jock sort of situations. But what if the phrase were used um, that they were killed? Or murdered. Or murdered. Mm. And, you know, without doing it to try to anger anyone, but that would be honest. Mm -hmm. These people weren't lost. They were killed. Sure. And I even found that uh, with my dad. I mean, I just used the word died Mm -hmm. with people. And I, and I generally got a discomfort from people with that term that people would be say like I'm you know I'm sorry for your loss you know or passed away passed seems, away seems like an easier term for people to handle yeah but the, what was very real and honest to me was that he died mm-hmm. um, and that I was with him right before that and he was alive mm-hmm. and then he was dead and I don't know why that doesn't like. I, I almost prefer to talk about it in those terms because that is what happened. Right. You know, he didn't um, – uh, physically he died. And, and you know, as a Christian in the Bible, I mean, this – like – I mean, we're in – we're talking about – we're in Leviticus uh, for five weeks or four – four weeks actually um, in our first five books of the Bible thing. And, I mean, the words, you know, death – and dead body and um, and someone being put to death for murder. Like those things are just so stark mm-hmm. in the book. And that can be, I think, alarming to people in our culture. But there's a part of me that's like, those are, those are the real, those are the words. Right. I don't know. How, have you ever thought about this? Well, no, I think you're right. I think language shapes the way we feel and think about things and we use language to avoid reality or to mm-hmm. make reality um, like you said more uh, palatable palatable yeah. or but or to arouse anger so like you mm-hmm. know, use it as murdered killed right you know or we use it in a way to actually speak about what's true mm-hmm. um, we tend not to speak about what's true we tend to you know so even if forget 9-11 which I don't want to but like just as a loss of your dad or the loss of my wife's mother or my brother's loss in his young son like it's death they died mm-hmm. mom right. died dad died son died yep and um but the interesting thing about that from a christian perspective is a lot of times i think the reason that we say loss is because we think we possess it 
Mm-hmm. So if you possess it, you can lose it. If, right? if it was yours. Yeah, if yeah. it was yours. And uh, your dad wasn't yours. Sue's right. mom wasn't hers. My brother's son wasn't his. Right. That doesn't mean that it's not horrifically sad, painful. And you do experience loss. I don't mm-hmm. want to lose that. No. <laughs> lose loss. <laughs> I don't want to no, move away from that because it's he died and then there is a sense of something that's gone that's no longer there. Mm-hmm. And that's empty and painful and you have to experience death's sting, we call it. I think I think it'd be accurate to say that loss is a part. Yes. Is a is a factor, but it's not all. And then and then the yeah, the sting of I mean the curse of death. I mean there's there's so many sides because then you know you could hear the hopeful pastor saying you know oh well you know death is just a transitionary period between this life and the next that's we do believe that right but it's not just that it's also a curse Mm -hmm. Um, it's also um, it also is a loss it also can be a murder um, it can be it, it, there are so many more layers to it and so the I mean nothing struck me more with my dad than the curse of death it was it was interesting my kind of how I felt with God about it was um, and I, I prayed that God would take him sooner which we yeah, he actually died very suddenly which was unexpected hmm. which we were grateful for but because it was just such a suffering it was so sad it was so it, it just reeked of a curse it was just everything was wrong with it mm. um it didn't feel if somebody had come in the room you know if you'd walked in the room and said hey this is just him transitioning to the next life i would have been like shut up like why does it have to suck like why does it have to be so painful why does it have to be so uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Um, if it were just that simple, you know, God would just like open a little door and say, "Here, come here, walk through." It's right. not that way. Well, um, I often, think, you know, never. maybe it's an over-talked about passage, but it's such a meaningful passage in, in Jesus' story that when he's told um, about Lazarus' death and mm-hmm. he knows he has the power to raise him from the dead, he weeps, which would right. seem not logical to us because I'm not going to cry over my dead son if I know an hour later I'm just going to raise him from the dead and he's going to be fine. Right. But there's something about the sorrow of, of death mm-hmm. and its curse mm-hmm. that Jesus, and the loss of a friend right there mm-hmm. in that moment that Jesus feels as a human being, and that's reality for us. And the fact that though the Bible states that Jesus knew why he'd come into the world that he did not want to go through death right that well, he, his even own, his own death yes or or the loss of another right yeah so his own agony over that there's something built in us from the very beginning of, of the world that is resistant to death mm-hmm. and actually what do you do there's the passage that speaks about god as desiring that no one should perish well, that's complicated because you could very easily, I think, from any philosophical bent, say death is is just 
going to happen. It's natural. If there's right. a God, it must be part of the plan. If there's no God, it's an absolute inevitable reality. Um, so the Bible stating that God desires that no one perish mm-hmm. seems odd. It's like, well, then why create it that way? Why spin this this plan in motion, right? But I don't I don't think it's getting at like ultimate purpose. Personally, I feel like it's getting at like within God as as in within Jesus. Like it it's just a sad, dark, painful thing. Hmm. Well, and and. God has desires. You and I have desires. Right. And and those desires, and people think this is weird because they think this is limiting the sovereign rule of God, but it's not. Those desires are frustrated at mm-hmm. some level by the very people that God has made because right. he's given them, though not a um, perfect free will, he's given them a broken will that, I mean, well, right. he gave them a free will, but it's broken. And it, now, and it is bent toward yeah, sin. being enslaved. Yes. Yeah. But it's still, there's this capacity of choice that's built into things. Right. And God is a relational God. He's in mm-hmm. his, he has desires for you. He has longings for you and he has plans he's laid out for you. And all of those come together in things. And so, right. Do we frustrate the desires of God? Yes, sure. every day. Yeah, and that is, I think, sorrowful to Him. When when my kids frustrate my desires for them, I get upset. I am disappointed. Mm-hmm. I'm sad. I I'm powerless. And not to say God is powerless, but at the same time, He is in the sense that He's going to let you walk this path. Right. He's not going to abandon the path and he has an intention right. for you. But but it's still like built into the into the reality that God's created is rebellion mm-hmm. and pain and disobedience that God knew would hurt. Right. And there was a thing that I was thinking through with my daughter the other day that I was is very complex um has to do with the fact that you know there's I have a divorce in my story and yes. I can't control everything. And so there was a there was a part of of thinking that through in which I realized that what would be better for her might be more painful for me and she probably won't recognize that. Um it was I mean that was just a hard thing to swallow like that I am going to move down a trajectory that will hurt me. Um it doesn't mean I don't love her, and it doesn't mean it'll always be easy. And and you know I don't want to say that I'm the analogy for God, but there's but there is something there's something to that that well, like the will of God includes frustrated desires and includes pain and right. includes yeah even yeah I think that's so profound where Jesus is saying I've come here to do your will God, but then going. Is there any other way? This, right. I don't, this sounds so painful and so terrible. And then that moment of, you know, kind of the way I've thought about it recently is of God saying, you're dead to me, and the, you know, turning his back. Mm-hmm. Um, not just It's not just physical death there. It's like I'm, our relational connection, There's it's gone. Um, man, that, ugh, like, 
even you just put that in a parental situation that would just be so utterly painful mm-hmm. to do and to say no matter how necessary right yeah well i think there's a reason i mean you said not to make yourself god but there's a reason that god presents himself as a parental unit so it's yeah, so that we, we can, can understand, understand at mm-hmm. some level what that means and then and because it seems in the very essence of who god is through his creation like he understands himself and presents himself parentally. Yeah. And I think the problem is that, you know, you look at Genesis theologically and you're like, oh, so there's only supposed to be one God. But right. there's been eight billion gods. I think that's the total of humans right now. I mean, there's six billion right. plus two billion who have passed away or whatever it is. So eight billion gods right. have been trying to run the world when there's only supposed to be one. Right. And <laughs> Right, and that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, and it, 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 it he's got a lot of frustrated desires. Not a frustrated sovereign will and right. plan, but frustrated desires for sure. Yeah, and I think that comes out in the scripture. And yeah, that can be confusing. And I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to nerd out on this. I think that would distract a well, bit. But there's something to, you know, some of the old theologians talk about his his uh, revealed will and his secret will, and um. You know those terms have their place, sure. But but the revealed will is frustrated all the time. The revealed will is you know obey me, love the Lord your God right. with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which we nobody ever does. Right. And so that will is absolutely frustrated, and there is pain in not being loved. Um, and sure. then you know the secret will is is that which we don't understand, which includes things like Jesus. Uh, suffering on a cross um, in order to redeem us. Uh, we wouldn't have planned it. We didn't see it coming. We didn't see how that was going to work. We still struggle to understand how it worked. But through all the pain and suffering, a beautiful thing was done. So what do you think we have to say, then, from the, to the larger community on a day of sadness as a nation, as followers of Jesus, and as the church? Like, what's mm-hmm. the bigger thing, in particular towards mourning and grief? Which we haven't done a good job at the church, I think. No. At least in a national sense. Right. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, I I guess I would say, I think we can offer two things simultaneously that are hard to couple. And those two things are hope and real profound sadness. Mm. Um, I, I think that we have in... Christ, the resource to do both of those things, because because He experienced that and gives us a. Because if there's no hope, it's hard to really engage in profound sadness. Because it's like, where does it go? Where does it end? Um, but if there is hope, you can engage in real profound sadness because there. Because there's there's enough hope there, to. To get you through that. Yeah. I mean that that's a off the top of my head. Well, I think that's good. I think when I was listening to you talk, I, I think about uh, so much of that is certainly like you're saying it's a, it's a very articulate way of talking about it, but it really is saying how do we move as followers of Jesus into our hearts and into our actual raw emotions yeah. with the knowledge of the hope and invite other people into that raw mm-hmm. emotion. I think we're very afraid. To simply allow the sadness to pour out of us or oh, yeah. the anger to pour out of us or the frustration in healthy ways um, at, at pointless death, mm-hmm. right? And at the sign of the curse in a big way. Yeah, and I think, I think there's a piece of 
Christian culture, I think, within the church, in which we've lost part of that resource that God's given us, um, or we neglect it because we are afraid that if we really engage in that profound sadness, that people will think we don't have the hope. Right. Um, or maybe we are afraid within ourselves that we don't have the hope. And mm-hmm. if we really engage in that, that we won't come out the other side. Right. And I think we do that with doubt and other things. <clears throat> um, so I think I think that what we what we could. I mean, I, I think that that's just something that I don't. I doubt it was always there. I think I think I have a feeling that in the early church, when they would mourn deeply, they didn't have this same. Fear or hang up that we have. Hey, it's Brian. The new Brian. <laughs> Brian on the motorcycle. Brian, he's on a motorcycle now. For those um, of you who appreciate the Brian references. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, so I think we have that to offer, but we neglect it because we're afraid that maybe we don't actually have the hope. Yeah. I mean, that would be one. Well, I was, I was thinking it's, I think the church and maybe just shift a little bit to culture and critique at the church a little bit is that over the last 60 years or so we've changed our church model to a business model so we bring in either military leaders or we bring in business leaders to teach us how to be a church but you don't go right. to find hope and to deal with your grief and mourning to a business yeah. and you don't go to the military and so when you structure your communities that way they lose the family thing yeah. when you see a healthy family lose somebody it's really um, a cool thing I mean it's yeah. not cool what happened but they yeah. know how to mourn together yeah. and they know how to cry and they know how to, to hold on to the hope in each other and I think that's what the church really has to offer if it's at a place where it's family mm-hmm. you know where, where the hope is in each other that Christ is with us when we gather yeah. and we can freely cry and mourn and tell stories and laugh and, and know that next week these people will still be here for us and right. not just disappear like family you know it moves back to their houses moves on but the church provides a place of constant mm-hmm. reminder of the hope and of a place to be okay to cry and, and to weep and mourn and be frustrated and don't know why things happen the way they happen. And, yeah. Um, I think So I think the church has to offer that when it transitions away from, like, how do we get people into the seats? How do we create good leadership structures? How do we do X, Y, and Z? How do you feel about giving people um, answers? Like, I, I think another felt need within churches is that when somebody is saying say they they say the words why does it have to be like this we feel as if we need to answer that question well the funny thing is i think that person who's asking really wants the answer and i i, I and think so too want you to answer right they do and they don't <laughs> right so they they and, and some people more than others right I, mean, I think in a way like i've had this discussion with my wife where she's like no tell me the answer right and sometimes i'm like i don't have one <laughs> well there's the philosophical i think some of bigger the like, big questions like if you lose your little uh you know son that's a little bit different than losing a dad who's been faithful for 70 right. odd years sure. 80 years 
Um, so you're saying, why? Why would I lose my kid? Why would my kid die before me? So there's a big philosophical, existential question. When we talk about 9-11, it's like, why did so many people have to die in one place at one time? Like, what's the meaning? And why do terrible people or deceived people or however you want to think of it, like, why are they allowed to carry out their, their plots, right? Why does this, why does this get to, why is that darkness allowed to impact so many people? Right. And, and people say, well, if God was really good and if he was really sovereign, he wouldn't do it this way. But then when you begin to explain to people what would have to be different when you give them answers, they're not, they, they understand that there's no other way for right. it to be, and then they feel trapped. Mm-hmm. Because now, okay, like I couldn't have a good God just controlling everything and making everything right. work because then I'd be miserable and wouldn't be, I wouldn't have I this. I wouldn't be a self. I wouldn't right, I wouldn't have this self-knowledge person. even. Yeah. yeah. And then to have this self-knowledge and this freedom of some will at some level um, would be, you know, it puts us all in a very precarious place without God being central. And right. so we have this. So it's just, then you feel trapped. Like, how can we do anything? Where's the meaning? So these are big existential questions that we have to find answers to. Right. Um, I think that really, you know, it's not, I think you should never give the answer when that people ask that way. But I do think from the places like the pulpit and other places, mm-hmm. you have to preach the gospel and you have to preach it in a way that says no there is hope and there is life in Christ mm-hmm. and there is the, this is not the way it's supposed to be and there is a time when you know at the end of Revelation when yeah. the kingdom of God is going to come and marry with the, the earth like it's all going to be made new and God right. will dwell with his people and we will be his people and he'll be our God That's a and deaths are undone yeah not all of them no but all will be resurrected. Yeah. And we'll have to figure out how that all works. Yeah. God will definitely. There's a lot that I don't understand yeah. around all that. But, but there's, but yeah. But there's hope in Christ. And that's all I have, you know, like in whatever sphere I'm in. Right. I know there's hope in Christ. And I know that there's hope in Christ's story. Like, I think that's important. There's hope in, I think we ask the really big questions, like, why did this have to happen? And Jesus says back to us, hey, like, I was born of the Virgin Mary. And we're like, what? And he's like, no, really, I was born of a virgin. And you're like, but but I lost my son. Well, you know, I sat with these people and I talked to them, but I lost my son. Well, I died, and this is what it means. Like, he's constantly telling us a story that doesn't necessarily always fit into the answer. It's not the answer we want, but it's transformative because it takes, like it puts us back where we're supposed to be in God's story. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember there was was an old talk, a John Piper talk that happened in one of the passion conferences. That man who tends to be a heretic. Do you want to talk about him on the... I like John Piper. Way to undercut a meaningful thing. Gosh. How do I live with you? I don't know how you live with me. There's Um, hope in Christ. Thanks, Harry. Totally redeemed it. Um, There was a... No, there was a sermon that he did at one of the Passion Conferences that I thought had this really helpful moment because he was talking about it was about the holiness of god mm-hmm. it's a it's a well-known one yes 
And then he mentions this couple that was present that he wasn't aware of whose child had been killed, had been murdered. Mm-hmm. And that he had no idea they're there, doesn't know he's teaching this particular thing to them. Perhaps had he known, he would have said something else. Who knows? But then later, years later, they came and said the one thing that got us through that was what you taught on the holiness of God, which seems strange. Right. Um, but it was something, a, a different story, a bigger truth that could be held on to um, amidst such a, a trying time that wasn't just saying like, hey, it's going to be okay or, um, you know, we'll see him on the other side. Right. Um, it was pointing to something just so much bigger and so much greater mm-hmm. um, that, you know, for whatever reason, they said it kind of anchored them. Right. Um, and I could, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a sermon or something that profound, but I think, I think I have, I've had similar feelings. Very rarely was it the, the thought of, you know, a specific thing that was like, you know, oh, don't worry, you know, I'm sure it'll be okay. Or, um, but one of the thoughts I had about my dad when I was in Oregon was I was walking down the beach, and, which is a, a beach he walked down. So there are a lot, there were a lot of connections, memories happening. Um, but I, I thought about the new heavens and new earth. I thought about that idea mm-hmm. and that some of my dad's favorite things were were part of the creation as right. are all of ours yeah. and and it struck me that if if at death all of those beloved things are not lost but will be again but better um, that the the world and all of our experience here isn't just a transitory waste of time right um it what struck me was just how good of a vision the book of revelation casts of our hope and just how good that would be and i think i just kind of like i was i was walking by myself and i kind of even stuttered out to god like that sounds so good um you know to think of all of the all of the different experiences that we we long to have and long to have a pure version of including believe you know having more faith and having more hope and stuff that those things could be coupled with the good that's within creation and might actually endure Hmm. and you know it wasn't a sense like i was out there walking and going like oh i just know exactly what it's going to be like it's going to be like this beach and my dad on the beach you know it wasn't that but it was just what a good vision that is. Like that strikes so deep to the core of what of what I long for. Um, different than the holiness of God. But it was, you know, those were the kind of things that sort of awakened in me and made me and brought brought hope, I, I guess. And that was a uh, something that's in the Bible. Um, yeah. That you no, might, that I'm sure I've heard in a sermon, I've read in a book, <laughs> you know, and so that those sure. hopes were instilled, though they yeah. weren't band aids in the moment, right? Yeah, no, it's really good. I mean, I, I think 
I think that when you get to the place in your life where you can say, okay, like things are not mine. Mm-hmm. Like you start out simple. Like Rod always joked, Pastor Rod, my co-pastor, you know, it's not my car, it's God's car. Right. Right. Well, that's a good place to begin. Sure. So your possessions are not yours. But the reality is my wife's not mine. My kids are not mine. Uh, they're, they're God's. And I know we said this earlier, but there's something very profound about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that it gives me a freedom to, to to cry and to mourn whatever loss I experience in those relationships. And yet, I'm not devastated. Right. Because I know, I, I believe in the character of God. And you go back to what Piper was saying, and he what he talks so much about and is so good at, it, the holiness of God. Mm-hmm. Like, that character of God is, is transformative if you hold on to mm-hmm. it. The holy God is all the only hope we have. So when you trust that, hold on to that, live in that, it, that's, it gives you freedom to be sad. It gives you freedom yeah. To, yeah. to mourn. It gives those beach moments when you're not right. asking a gigantic existential question anymore. You Except have that answer. That wasn't, yeah. You are living out a deep and true relationship with Jesus right. about the, the pain in your life. And instead of Jesus falling asleep when you're asking him to pray, he's there, right? He right. doesn't abandon you in Gethsemane. Right. And that's a powerful thing i think yeah yeah i'm pretty sure this podcast is about done yeah it can be <laughs> i don't know if we want to say anything more to to ruin it is I, I, it really I'm, I'm i'm i feel that's that was a good conversation that was a good conversation. our breakfast is gone my coffee's gone yeah we're done that's really good so thanks for uh hanging out with us. yeah 